This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by FanQuest, happening June 23rd and 24th at the Red River College Exchange District Campus. Go to fanquestcon.com for tickets and information. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Today, we thought we would try something a little different and invite our long-suffering producer. Why do you think we're all suffering? He's suffering. <laughs> Anyone who has to spend this much time with me is suffering. <laughs> and my long-suffering co-host to be on the show today, uh, Dan, uh, is going to talk. Well, we thought we'd turn the reins over to Dan. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Basically. What are we going to talk about today? I, I have questions for you guys. I've been meaning to ask you. Now, I've learned, I have to say this, after three months of podcasting, how long have we been doing this? Yeah, we were just figuring it out, 22 episodes, something okay, like that, so, right? So, so, oh, yeah, almost three months. Um, I've, wow. I've learned a lot about what you guys do. That's part of the reason why I wanted to do this, is just to learn more about what it means to be an artist and to sell your work at conventions and that whole thing. And we've learned a ton about that. Um, but I want to talk to you guys a little bit more about how you build your audience, who your audience is. As you know, I'm, I'm running a con uh, coming up in June, uh, FanQuest. Go to fanquestcon.com for more information. And, um, and I want to know who I should be trying to attract, who I should be marketing to for this convention. I want good customers to come to this event and buy a lot of your stuff. So that's well, we're not job. up to that. That's not up to us in some regards. I'll say this about all these these twenty two episodes. We've learned a lot about our job too. Yeah, I think right. Like having to go on record, Justin, when you say has like it's true. Yeah. Polish the edges of what you think about because so many of us like we we never talk out loud about these things. We're all kind of in this alone for the most part, right? We kind of sit behind our screens and paint, and then we do conventions, and then we come back to the screen, and we never. We don't talk about the nitty-gritty very often. Right. And there's something, um, I think, that solidifies your notions of things once you have to say them out loud. And mm-hmm. then when you listen back to it, you know, we listen back to check the podcast for its, you know... Quality control. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Um, you find yourself reflecting on your own answers in a way that I did not expect to happen making this podcast have you noticed um the way you talk about conventions and your job now four years ago the way you talked about it and the way you talk about it now has changed just your answers and oh maybe i think the questions have changed yeah do you think that's true like people ask different things when you were starting out than they ask now and there's this um uh like patina of admiration and knowledge that they think, you know, <laughs> you have the answer because you've survived that long. Mm-hmm. Um, like the grizzled old veteran, you know, that's who we are now. Grizzled I remember veteran. PCP pipes and oh, when you couldn't take card transactions. Oh, man. Then the days before <laughs> Square. The days before right. Square. Oh, my God. When you would use actual change before you figured out how to round up your... Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, okay, here's a question. Do you guys, now you set your prices for your, for your stuff, round it, and make it 
even 20 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever, so that yeah. you don't have to give out change. Do you have to worry about taxes or anything like that at all in the different places you travel to? So, yeah, we have to register for state taxes. Like, we have to pay, like, when we're in the States, we have to pay our state tax. And you went to, you just came back from So, Seattle. for example, yeah, in, uh, in Washington, uh, all the conventions are really good about this for people coming in from out of state. Uh, they give you a tax form. Yeah, Emerald City Comic Con okay. will supply a Washington State tax form. Yeah. For you to fill out and submit, and it's like super easy to do. It's not a not this so, stressful money. I mean, you, you know, the trick is I was afraid of. If you're fine with claiming your earnings, there's no no nothing well, to should, fear about traveling over the <laughs> over the border. There are some people who work in convention land who you know find it uh, a little bit more nerve wracking. I think because they're not being as forthright with um, the monies they make over there. Okay, but since uh, you know. We aren't worried about that. It's not something we have to be. So is it just like about. you figure out how much money you made over the weekend and then take a percentage of that and that's the tax? Is that how it works? Basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, and then, but the customer doesn't yeah. worry about that. The customer doesn't. No. And so, so that's the trick, right? We have to worry about our taxes. Our accountant has to worry about our taxes and uh, Ottawa has to ask us about our taxes, but we want to make sure that the customer has no barrier for math. Right. Like it really mm-hmm. comes down to that. It has less to do with like, us trying to be generous with like including the tax and more to do with the average person um, who's making an impulse purchase sometimes, yeah. right? Having to calculate an extra dollar seventy two somewhere along the way is enough to dissuade them. Whereas if they just, you know, take out that folded twenty, oh it's twenty dollars, I happen to have twenty dollars. There you go. Which right? most you know, most people who come to a, a comic convention hit an ATM or hit the bank before. Yeah. They have like their their budget in twenties, and that's usually what we see, right? Like a, yeah. a bank envelope of like yeah. money, and like this is what I get to spend over the next four yeah, days. People on a budget, and then the other thing with that is you round up or round down. So like some things I have, it's actually a little bit of a loss to sell it for twenty, oh. but the ease to sell it at that price point is worth the it increases the number of sales and you make you make money on your other things and then you make money on the other things and then other things we round up to 20 to kind of offset that you know and we i don't know what do you think about that yeah that sounds about right i my prices are totally based on ease for the customer um i think about changing them from time to time i'm always on the lookout for other people who might have a smarter pricing and i've seen some some things i might want to try at some point but uh yeah i i really yeah i don't want to have to hand out a lot of fives and and i don't want anything to do with change and i don't think anybody does on that floor um so yeah um and so do you adjust for uh the exchange rate you were just in the states do you charge less american than you would here in canada so I did on the books. I was willing to make a better deal if you were buying more than one book if you were in the States because of the exchange, but I did not on the art. And I didn't on the art because I walked through. Um, it's interesting you say that because I wondered about that. This is, um, but you just walked around. I just looked around on the sixth floor at Emerald City Comic Con, what every, all the American artists were charging for the comparable size and print quality and colors and that. And, you know, they were all charging the same so oh interesting yeah oh there you go yeah. so so in, in really a um a trip to a u.s con and justin you do this quite quite a bit is is pretty could be more profitable for you than as a canadian yeah if the exchange is good you know sometimes well, it's, it's not good for us if we were to, yeah if we were to go shopping in the u.s uh, convention but yeah. for you as a as a retailer as a seller yeah it does a good. flip for us yeah mm-hmm. um i mean the where you lose it though is in 
you know, the printing they have to do there, you have to pay an American. And then yeah. your travel, you have to pay, yeah. right? You have to yeah. pay your hotels. You have to... Tables. Yeah, tables, tables are, are all cheap. in American. Yeah. So it kind of... Wa- that's partially why we don't adjust the price because it all has to wash out on both ends of our budget. Cool. Yeah. And, and uh, how was the con, by the way? Emerald City was great. Uh, I've been going there for five years now. Um, so the first three years I was in Artist Alley, and then the last two years I've been um, in the vendor hall. They did a bit of a uh, an arrangement switch. It used to be Artist Alley and vendors were all on kind of the same floor, and now they've changed it so Artist Alley is on a top floor, and the vendor's room has gotten bigger, which I've never really liked when conventions did that, when they separated the artists in like another building yeah. or another room and put the vendors somewhere else. I've never really like that i understand their logic but i yeah you know it's one of those things that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom <laughs> but uh i want to say this is what emerald said comics first time i had ever done emerald city and i did 25 shows last year and this show had the most comics at it of any comic convention i've been to in uh the last couple of years most comics like just like people selling self-published comics, people selling uh, like resellers of comics, like Golden Age comics, people with, you know, trade paperbacks at a discount, you know, like actual comics, comics, way Truly more. Truly a comic it. convention. Yeah. Wow. And like the comic publishers were all there, you know, yeah. Boom was there, Dark Horse was there, Image was there, you know, like, and the art, the sixth floor artist alley was just like. I, the artwork at Emerald City is by f- like I do, yeah, close to 30 shows a year. I only buy artwork at Emerald City because the artwork at that show is just seems to be above and beyond anything else. The, um, the uh, Artist Alley is organized artists. by the alphabet. Like they organize it alphabetically into sections, but really it's all AAA artists in there basically. Like there were some people that... And is it Jared? It's a little Jared, right? I don't... I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I'm new. We, we were inventors, yeah, so we didn't have a jur- juring process. To be fair, I got in because uh, Connor McCready, who uh, writes Kill Shakespeare, among other things, um, couldn't make it to the show, and he had a spot in vendors and said, you know, um, I've talked with the show runners and forwarded them your work, and they said that we could swap out spots. Nice. Um I think really what he wanted to make sure is that he kept chain of title on that spot. So he <laughs> didn't want it to go to me. He just wanted to arrange with the, the showrunners for me to take still over temporarily. Still his spot, but you were selling your stuff at his That's spot. Right. So this way he gets dibs on it next year. That's right. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S-mart. You got that? Getting back to the whole artist alley and vendors thing. Again, I, I think about this as well. Um, now, we're, we're a small convention fan quest. We're not to the point where we're going to have like a a separate artist alley, but I was never really, I don't know. I, I, I kind of understand that idea, but I like to mix things up as well. Uh, why do you think uh, everything should be mixed together and, and artists shouldn't be separated out? Well, and I had, I had kind of a question here too about um, somebody who's, you know, run a convention and be involved with running a convention, artist alley and vendors like, what is the definition of the person supposed to be in Artist Alley? And what is the definition of the person supposed to be in Vendor? Uh, well, the way things are shaping up for FanQuest, almost all of our vendors are artists. It's just the way it's, it's gone. Like, almost, I think we have one or two retailers as far as collectibles stores or video game stores. Um, I think we have, one, we have one used video game retailer, one collectibles, maybe two if this other person comes on board. And... Um, but everybody else makes their own stuff. And so that, to me, that's what the definition of an artist is, is somebody who creates their own products, whether it be comics or prints or 
um, knitted things and or or stuffed animals or whatever. You know, they've had to they've actually created the things themselves, right? And that not is had it manufactured. not not ordered it in from somewhere else right. and resell or re, or reselling old SNES cartridges and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So that's to me is the definition of an artist as far as like putting them in an artist alley, yeah, kind of a thing. Which is what a lot of con- where did that start? Did that start like back in the day? Is okay, that that- so. Um, now, some of this is just my opinion, but a lot of that is uh, sort of wool gathered from talking to other artists at a lot of different shows, New York Comic Con in particular. There's like a class system that seems to have remained in comic book land that's left over from this notion of like comic shows used to be this and this is how they should be. Right? right, it should just be the comic book makers and the artists and the writers, and they should all be in their own space. And because a lot of those voices who are extremely talented um, are voices, I think that the conventions are listening to. They're saying, "Okay, well, we'll put you in your own space, so that you don't have to worry about the cosplayers as much, and you don't have to worry about the guys selling Transformer stories as much." But I think that that is, in hindsight, you know, a really narrow viewpoint. Um, what about the people who came for toys who could discover an artist? Right. Right? Yeah. What about the people who came for cosplay and then discovered, you know, somebody doing a pen and ink drawing of a character and seeing the actual craft that goes into it? By separating the two, the accidental cross-pollination is absent. And yes. I think that in the long run, that hurts, you know, yeah. the industry. Yeah, so so we're and we're mixing it up. We did it last year. We only had the one space in FanQuest last year, like the one main hall. So we did mix things up uh, again. Mostly artists. Like I, I found the artist community here in Winnipeg to be very supportive of us, and we're very grateful for that. Our our new um, our new space at Red River College sold out in like two days. If yes. that, it was like boom, we put the put them up, and they're like, yeah, we're 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 getting, and we have like a twenty person wait list. So lots of people want to get in, which is great. Now I feel it's my responsibility as a showrunner to bring in the customers and that that's how that, that's my job to promote yeah. the yeah. show to get people to come um part of what we do at FanQuest is we want it to be an inclusive experience so you pay your 20 dollars at the door whatever the day the price is and that's all you have to pay except for buying stuff so when you do everything else so no con, autograph fee nothing like that no autograph yeah. fees no um q a fees no reserve seating or anything like that it's all like you can go and play in a video game tournament. You can go play a tabletop game. You can go, and we want all that stuff to be inclusive as well. Because another thing we've noticed at some conventions is that you know you got your tabletop gamers there, um, but sometimes again they seem to be separated, yeah. and uh, and nobody kind of feels like oh I can just walk in and start playing, which is it's what yeah. these people want. I've yeah. talked to these guys; they want new players. They want people to come in and well, try. What I it. like about that, just as a just as a concept, right, is that. If I, you know, I have an eight-year-old and I have a six-year-old, actually just turned seven, uh, they could come in and see all that stuff, even though I might have an agenda. You know, it's like... Yeah, you didn't I might, have to go to another room to see That's that. right. It's, like, I might be super into one aspect of a comic show, right? And I, you know, I always go to Artist Alley and I always want to check that stuff out. I want to see the, the way the sausage is made, sort of. But... You know how the sausage is. You make the sausage. <laughs> yeah, everyone makes it different. The spices are all different <laughs> and I'm always looking for the secret, right? Um, but my kids are, you know, they're around that. That's like, you know, oh, dad, this is what you do. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> So, I can't believe that your kids think that way. You're, you're a comic book creator. That's pretty cool. Okay, they're into it in the way that an eight-year-old and a six-year-old can be into things. Okay. Um, 
but I think as they get older, the the mysticism of it, you know, like other people, my father was a stockbroker and other people find that to be like very peculiar as a profession. But to me, it's just like, oh yeah, that's how the stock market works. It's not a big deal. Um, because I grew up with that as right. dinner time conversation. So that's what they have. But what I was saying is that if I bring them on my, what I want through a show that isn't so um, stratified, right? If everything's all mixed up, then we're passing by all these opportunities for them to see all these other aspects of it, literally on a fan quest. There you go. That's part of the reason that's, that's the name of the right? show. So, I this, like that. I feel like this is turning into an infomercial for fan quest. And I, don't, I don't want it to be that. Okay, let's talk but, badly about fan quest for a while and then you'll feel okay. All around the world, from as far off as the Caspian Sea, people have been running up to Bill and acting like idiots. Why must you be one of them? Because now it's my turn. I mean, don't you want to go over there and talk to him and see what he's like? I mean, William Shatner made us who we are today. But do, do you want to insult the man? Just respect the space. I do respect the space. It's the final frontier. Okay, so let's talk about your audience and your customers. Uh, before we started recording, Justin, you mentioned that uh, something about you have to kind of establish your presence at a certain con before you start to get repeat business. We were talking about that this weekend. Um, so, yeah, I've been going to Emerald City for five years, and a couple of my other friends uh, have been going there you know, uh, four, three years, two years kind of thing. And we've noticed around the the three-year mark is when the customer loyalty and return customers really become apparent. A lot of people coming up saying, we were looking for your booth. We're so glad you're back. We want to get, like, we have eight of your pieces already. We want to see what's new. That conversation happens around year three. Yeah, and I can give a good example of that because it's my third year doing Vancouver Right, it was my third time doing the Vancouver Fan Expo, which is just above Seattle. Right, and so Seattle, which was a new show for me, I had lots of people who it was like, oh, I've never seen this before. Oh, I don't know about these books. Oh, your art is different. You know, whatever. And and it felt like I was resetting. It was like back at the beginning of my career for a whole portion of it. But then you know there was at least a couple hundred people who came down from the Fan Expo. In Canada, they do both shows. Yeah, because Toronto and Seattle are yeah, like, yeah an hour away from each other. Yeah, like and so the, I felt I could see really clearly the difference between my new potential customer and my old loyal customer. And, Somebody you've won over already, right? Yeah. And what was really fascinating to me because it's I haven't had this clear a delineation between the two at a table in a long time. The old customer that was standing there, their enthusiasm for the work became infectious on the people who were just browsing. Like, you know, someone ran up and they're like, oh, you're here. I didn't get your stuff at the last show. I missed it. It was the last day and you were sold out or whatever. You know, I'm going to take this. 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 And uh, Everybody you know, else's eyes just Yeah, and then the people around them feel like, <laughs> what did I miss? Like, well, what, there, there is something. Guy? Whenever you go to a new show, you've got to plant somebody to do that. <laughs> yeah. You've got to get somebody. You can do it to each other. Yeah. Justin, come up to Greg's table and say, hey, oh, you're here, and then do the uh, vice versa. Dear listeners, if you want to be part of our street team, <laughs> please reach out to us on social media. This is also why we're always, um, we stress the point of making new stuff so mm-hmm. much. Like, we, we run into a lot of artists who who are getting grumpier and grumpier because they go to the same show year after year after year with the exact same portfolio that they started with. And around year three... They have like taken a nosedive in in sales and traffic, and they're still they're wondering what's changed about the convention. Yeah, and what's changed yeah. is that they haven't changed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the case for almost. I used to work retail, and that's the case for uh, every retail 
outlet is you always have to have, have new inventory. You can't yeah. just keep the same inventory in your shelves and expect to sell it. Yeah. So it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. Uh, now, do you guys quickly, uh, just as an aside, do you, mm-hmm. do you debut your new stuff at conventions? I know you do you sell stuff online as well? I do. I, uh, I always sell it for a couple months at conventions right. before it goes online. So yeah. it, we give I'll, preferential treatment to the people who are boots yeah. on the ground. With yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense too. That, that's like, and people, so that gives people a reason to come to the convention to get your stuff first. Yeah. It's it's like the difference between uh, watching a show, TV show live on on cable. Uh, if you don't have a cable subscription, you have to wait for it to come out on DVD or something. Yeah, like that. Right. you know what I mean. So that's the difference. But uh, no, that makes sense totally. So it's also so much funner selling in person when somebody says, "Oh, I'll just get it online." It's almost like disappointing. I, I have no joy. I find no joy <laughs> in shopping online. I actually yeah. kind of hate it. I, I really don't. Well, like it. you know, there's another part. The um, maybe the masochist in me likes this part. You can also see people who hate your work face to face. Oh. And I think that that is really important as a creative person, right? Like, so um, you set up at your show and you put your display together and people will walk by and you can watch their body language. And if they, their eyes widen and they turn, you know, they square their shoulders towards the booth, right? There's their interest. You see the opposite of people who seem like, you know, oh, this is not for me. They scrunch up their face and they turn away and they just like, you know, they Those two people are usually friends. Yeah. And sometimes... (laughs) And sometimes they're friends. Um, but that, you know, love it or hate it, as long as you feel something, right? That's the key. Like, art that makes people go, meh, right? That's when it cuts. When someone's like, hey, you know, honey, what do you think about this? And they just shrug and they're like, yeah, hey. Not for me. That's when I'm like, cut right to the <laughs> bone. It just... Greg, so he just drops. Oh. oh, yeah. You know, I don't mind if they hate it. And I like it when they really like it. But if there's no, if there's just apathy, then I have failed as an artist. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, though, does it? Uh, sure, plenty. Uh, well, I mean, think uh, of there's thousands of thousands upon thousands of people that stream by over the course of a convention. You know, we were there for four days. Four days. Oh my god. How big is this? Show? How many people at the show? I want to say it's over a hundred thousand. Okay. I don't know how. I don't much. know what the final numbers it's were this probably, time. Yeah. So that's, to me, sounds like one of the biggest shows other than San Diego on the There's, on the West Coast. Like San Diego and New York are like toe to toe, and then Denver, Denver, Emerald City are are really big as well. I'm not sure where it goes. From but there. is there anything like as far as the West Coast goes? There's not really a big convention in Los Angeles, is there? Is there? I, I mean, there's, there's a probably small. Well, DesignerCon uh, is in LA, and there. WonderCon, yeah, WonderCon's not that big. So we are also Canadian. So if there's anyone listening who knows, you know, which U.S. shows, we should definitely be checking out. Yeah. Just let yes. us know. Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, okay, so let's talk about your customers then and your repeat customers. So these are people. Do you find that in marketing we like to talk in terms of demographics and generalities? And I don't know that that's always the best way to go about things. Well, we can talk about one of them in particular that it's always true. Okay, what? Tell right? me. Right? Here's something that's always true, no matter what field you're in. Right? It's just economics. 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your repeat customers. Yes. Right? And that's true no matter whether you sell shoes or art or, you know, rocket ships. Right? I want to buy a rocket ship. Yeah, yeah. right? Um, we'll talk to Elon. <laughs> oh, you're on a first name basis. We'll put a good word yeah, in Mr. Musk. Elon. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Musky. It's Mr. to you, yeah. Um, but that's just, that part's true. Right? Okay, and but what is your what does your repeat customer look like? Like, do they have do you notice certain things about them? Is is there a general? Is there are there a certain age range or, um, you know? Yeah. So one of the things. Okay. So when Justin and I set up side by side at a show, people say, "Well, don't you feel like you're competing against each other?" But our customers. Yeah, he's shaking his head vigorously. No, our customers are so different 
that we rarely cannibalize sales from one another. But when the Venn overlap happens, we usually get someone who gets from both booths. So um, why don't you talk about who your people are? And then I'll tell them by contrast. Who just think, I think um, a, a younger couple, like between like 20 and 30, like a, a couple um, who's into nerdy things together, they always find, they'll each find stuff that they like at my booth. Like, oh my God, there's Secret of Nim. I love that. I grew up with that movie. Oh, and he's got like the Gundam stuff too. So, and then my the way my, my pricing structure works is always um, the more you get, the cheaper it gets kind of thing. So right. they always find two that like really draw them in. They find like two more that they agree on. They both like, so that younger um, couple is is always almost like I can I can see them coming. It's like, I'm sell- I know I'm going to make a sale to those guys. Like, they're going to buy something. I can tell already just by the eye contact. And then... And if I can just interrupt yeah. for a second, just uh, observe that, you know, it's not insidious. This is literally the democratization of art, right? Right. We're selling stuff that if you were putting it up in a gallery, right? And we do gallery shows and we do stuff in original. We would ask 500 to $1,000 for the originals. But here as a print, a person that likes something can pay $10, can pay $20, and they can have the same joy yeah. as someone, right? There's, it removes class. That's my favorite thing about this. So when we see people who are like, oh, and they're going to be our customer, it's not because, right, we're like, oh, there's the mark, right? Oh, yeah. that's the root. It's that here's something we made where, like, our excitement and their excitement matches, and we have taken down the barrier of the gallery, to allow them access to it. And that's like my favorite thing about going we're to We're also, shows. we're both, it's kind of nice. We don't have to be pushed. We don't need to sell it to them. It's right there. There's nothing really more to it. If you like it, you're going to go for it. If you don't like it, you're going to walk away. It's not like we, we have to sell it to them. It's just like, you know, it's, yeah, pick so it up. I observe in Justin's customers too, a, um, often there are groups of friends who all like different stuff. Like That's um, my second favorite. Yeah, group. second favorite. Yeah. So you have like four or five uh, you know, men or four or five women who arrive as a group, you know, like their their con crew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of them will point out something that they want, and then they'll all see something they want. Then they'll read the pricing scheme and realize that if they all buy it together, it's ten dollars each instead of twenty. Nice. Right. And yeah. so then they, then they go ha- yeah. away and they have a little like, you know, tete a tete. And they put all their money together and then they say, okay, well, we'll take these 10 things. And in the end, you know, they've all paid half price as a result of being friends who like the same stuff. And that's because your work is somewhat diverse in your fandoms that you cover and, and that kind of stuff. Like it's not just one. Whatever. Yeah. What I like, I draw and I kind of like stuff all over the place. Right. And yeah, I think some people. Like, You're a well-rounded you... nerd. So there's something. Yeah. Right. Whereas most people are start like, you know. They do like the classic sci-fi, like it's all Star Wars stuff and Back to the Future stuff and like that 80s, you know, great movies from like earlier. Some people do like only anime stuff. So that's, yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I, was, I was kind of getting at that. Like yeah. a lot of people are just focused on one fandom, be it comic, like superheroes or, or anime or um, Star Trek or Star Wars. I guess it's usually that. like what their style works best with. Yeah. Is And then when people, so when you're developing that customer base, what I've also seen, so... I started 100% fan art free, and I did that for years. And then there's just people just kept asking me for certain pieces and certain pieces in my style. And then I, you know, I have maybe about 10%, maybe 15% of my total catalog at a show um, would be considered fan art, and the rest is my own IP. Um, and I've seen the reverse happen in Justin's, where his 
he's gone from like 100% fan art to like 30% of his own IP in there and growing like every show there's a little bit more and people who are into the style right that's what they're buying now yeah you know they like the composition they're um, a little bit more uh, of an aficionado you know but it for took lack that of a better two word. three years of the loyalty thing before right. you know they first came because of ooh the the Gundam piece I love that piece but now year two year three well what's yours like I want your stuff now he has this wonderful painting of just like a you know it's like a shattered vector woman in purples and she's she just sold like, out so quickly in yeah and she's just it? walking and it's just like it's a hundred percent original piece and it's a top seller for him and, you know and I have. Um, uh, these Crossroads Guardians girls that are, yeah, and we have one on the studio here, right? Um, every city I go to, you know, like the symbol on it is Confusion Corner from <laughs> I was Winnipeg. I going to say, that's hilarious. And every city I go to, this is a top seller for me. There's just something about it that connects with people. And it's, it's, it's so gratifying when your own work that is not derived from some other fandom creates a new fandom. We are creators. We are gods. And gods never die. Greg, tell me about your customers and what they what you notice about them. So my wife uh, came with me to um, New York Comic Con. That was um, her first convention ever, right? The first time she'd ever stayed with oh, me wow. for a whole yeah. show. You know, and I've been doing this for 10 years. But it's the first time. And so what it came down to is, hey, you know, I'm doing a lot of shows this year. Dear, do you want to come with me? To a few of them, no, I don't. You know, you know, that's not really my scene. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll find another helper for New York Comic Con. And she said, I will do that show <laughs> with you. Going to New York, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, but she was, it was, it was really wonderful. But she had a great insight into who she she classified a huge. She said about three out of every ten of your customers look like movie directors, right? Oh, okay. Male or female, she says they're just. You know, and she said the other group look a little bit like architects, and then the other group are super into metal, <laughs> right? And this is, but about seventy percent of my um, like selling is to women. Okay, you know, like it's for some reason, and I don't think of my work as being particularly like um, focused in that way. I'm not like aiming at it that way. But there's something about the compositions, or something about the you know, like the presentation of the female form that I do sometimes. That's my wife's. Um, uh, the way she parses it is to say, you know, like how you are representing women is why women like your stuff. But I don't see it necessarily as, you know, I don't understand what the big deal is, but I'm glad that they're connecting with it. Okay. So, uh, and what about age? Of the, is it an older so audience? So mine is older, yeah. yeah. Okay. So my um, demographic is like the majority of my sales are probably to people in their 30s and above. So you guys are going to kind of covering all your bases. Here. Yeah, yeah. We often share tables or tables side by side, and at first it was definitely like, okay, well, Greg knows what he's doing. Is he going to steal my sales? And I'm yeah. sure you had like the same reservations. <laughs> what would that like, look like though, be like, forget that guy. Come look at this thing. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. It's, it's, it's not like that, right? <laughs> and because my work is, you know, I talk about it. It's like a Venn diagram between 40s propaganda, 30s pulps, and 60s style guides. It's a very different look and feel. Like if you grew up anywhere near a stack of old comics, you can smell the DNA of that in the work that I'm doing. Whereas if you grew up playing video games and watching manga and and uh, watching all those movies, then you see that DNA in the stuff that Justin is doing. And those are two different kind of mindsets, mm-hmm. right? And it, it, it leans to two different demographics. And then when we combine that together in the books that we work on, it's great because now 
all of those people become the customer. Yeah, often what we'll do is we'll we'll set up side by side and in the middle is a stack of all our books. So when I'm directing my customers over there, then Greg can kind of talk to them as well and we we talk about our collaborations and yeah, it's worked out okay so and far. The other way that we've accidentally built loyalty is that Justin and I both, you know, we spend a lot of time working digitally. All our my, all my finishes are digital. Uh Justin paints in um Adobe Illustrator. Mm-hmm. And so we don't get a lot of time to just get our fingers dirty. And so what we started, what we both started doing is just doing a free drawing. Other people charge for sketches at cons, like that's a regular thing, but we just started doing it for free. If you bought a book, we'll draw something in it right. just for you. I think you mentioned that on a previous episode. You yeah, talked yeah. about how that realization came to you. Yeah, and was... that was, you know, it's so fun, number one, but it also people realize that, you know, we're not just interested in a quick sale there. Once they've decided to buy it, now we'll actually spend some quality time with you, sort of, you know? And I think what happens, the reverse that shows, is as soon as the sale is locked, they're passed off to someone to complete it, right. take their money, yeah. and yeah. send them yeah. on their way. And they get the reverse experience. Um, and so as I get busier and as I get helpers at shows and I'm doing that, I'm still trying to build in an intact moment at the end. So yes, someone can take your money. Yes, someone can pack it up or get that ready for you. But they'll still... Let's try to fit in that time to say, okay, you know, you're going to spend your time, you're going to spend your money, I'm going to spend a little bit extra just for you. Um, but another thing I noticed you doing this weekend, just following your Instagram story, yeah. and you, if you guys don't follow Greg on Instagram, please do, G, at GMB Chimichuk. Yeah, GMB, C-H-O-M-I-C-H-U-K. Uh, <laughs> and at Chasing Artwork, Justin, although Justin, you notice he posts more of your work there, which is awesome. Yeah. But not so much the, you're really into the stories. I see that you you really love the- well, You treat snap. it as a diary, right? Yeah, I yeah, treat yeah, it yeah. like a diary. It's kind of cool. So my social media is not- you know, like other people are like, oh, it has to be on brand. It has ah. to be this, that, be a, whatever. You are your brand. Right? Yeah. So I just decided that cool stuff that's happening, I'll share with other people who aren't, don't get to be there. Um, so I noticed on your Instagram story that you, you had a commission this weekend. Yeah. Um, so that's also part of what you do at conventions. Is you, and do you do those, Justin, as well? I used to. Not so much anymore. I, again, yeah. Um, Drawing pictures in the books, and sometimes on the back of prints, I'll do a quick little sketch, which so, is another trick I stole from says, I want. Now, did you complete that at the con? I did. So here's the thing. I almost never do commissions okay. at shows. Okay. I don't like it because it takes away from the time that I can sort of give that service away for free, which sounds funny and counterintuitive, but <laughs> people are happier to get a 10-minute sketch for free sometimes than they are to spend $500 having me draw something you know, for hours. Um, and I don't like it either because then I don't get to interact Takes your with half, people. Takes half your day away right, yeah. from right, right, right. the rest of but the But this yeah. just sort of worked out great. I couldn't, my card reader wasn't working. And I didn't know sort of how I was going to solve that problem. But I was like, okay, fine. I just can't solve it. And then a fellow came over to me and asked me for a commission. And it was a gr- it, the book was full of all these greats. Like David Mack was in there and, you know, uh, Bruce Tim was in there and all these other people. And I just felt so honored. I didn't want to turn it down. And it had the greatest theme. Some people collect sketchbooks and they just write a theme on the front. Yeah. And then they have the artist interpret that theme. It was just someone in a hat. <laughs> right? And I love the Phantom Detective and he always wears a hat. So I just, I knew exactly what I was going to do. So I said, yes. And then it turned out that he was the vendor across the aisle from me. So I said, listen, how about this? You know, I normally charge between 300 and 500 bucks for a commission, but if you do me a favor and help me run my card transactions for the weekend, we'll call it even, right? So, I mean, he thought that was a 
huge saving, but for me, it was like an absolute lifesaver as far as, you know, keeping the, keeping the great machine turning at the show. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I had fun drawing something, you know, I got to pick it. You know, if someone comes and says, I want, you know, Harley Quinn on a motorcycle, then you don't get a say in a commission. But this one was, you just got to interpret it. So I got to draw something I thought was fun in a style I thought I wanted to do. And he got what he wanted and I got a service. We kind of bartered. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, So it worked out great. So thanks for noticing. <laughs> well, no, I was, again, I was again following along the uh, the uh, stories. I mean, it, to me, it just blows me away how how well Instagram stories have taken off because um, it is really is a blatant rip off of Snapchat. Um, yeah. and, uh, Snapchat. And I was never a Snapchat person. I tried to get into it. Yeah. Have you ever tried Snapchat? Yeah. Again, it's aimed at a different demographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was following along, and I saw your adventures in Seattle, and you went to the you went to the original Starbucks. We did, uh, yeah. Which looks like every other Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. it's a little <laughs> underwhelming. It's yeah, but the idea want, uh, is monumental. But. We're uh, you know we're starting off a few. We're at the sort of burgeoning stages of a few endeavors right now. Nice. And so I said, you know, like let's go just stand in a place where things spread from. Because Justin was like, ah, it's not such a big deal. And I was like, no, the magic, the mystique, the mystery. He's like, it's like every Starbucks. It is. Forget it, buddy. <laughs> we did go to an amazing chowder place, though. Oh, right man. By there. Pike Place Chowder, like this, you have to line up half it's an hour before it opens. Place, like that kind of thing? Mm, well, <laughs> they get your soup and get out of here. But yeah. it's just amazing chowders. And it's a I thought Seattle he was making tradition. it up. So he's like, there's this place in Seattle where people line up around the block for chowder. I'm like, no, they don't. But yeah, let's go for chowder. And we got there early. And then within 10 minutes, the lineup was stretching around the whole place. I couldn't figure it out. And um, was it worth the wait? It was delicious chowder. Yeah. yeah. See anything you like? So and I saw you recently at, uh, now you weren't there, Justin, but you're, you're Work was there. Your table was there at Winterfest uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago, and I noticed as I was passing by, and I'm very aware of not to um, interrupt you when you're in the middle of talking. But I did, uh, you know, I just kind of look at some prints, and I noticed in the back of, of your prints you have a little Super Pulp Science flyer that you've got in every single print, yeah, uh, just on the backboard kind of thing, which is awesome because that promotes your Patreon and that yeah. whole thing. Do you promote this podcast at shows? So what happens is, yes. But not in a like overt way. We're thinking about doing it a little bit more overtly at the Calgary Expo. Okay. But what's happened now is it's been a word of mouth thing. People always ask, and I mean they ask you all the time. They ask everyone in comment, "How'd you get into it? How'd you start? What do I need to know?" Anyone who asks me that question, I tell them about the podcast. I say, "Listen, we made this for that exact reason. So come and check it out." We've also, um, so I I'm gonna make some some super pulp science uh, podcast flyers for my next couple of shows um, because of business cards. We've I've oh. learned over the last year or two that uh, I used to do what everybody does. I would bring hundreds of business cards to every convention and I would hand them out. You can go through 500 business cards in two days at a big show. Like or They will just fly. You know, Four-day show, you can do 1,000 business well, cards. Yeah, which starts to add up after a while if you're doing a lot of big shows. And the return on that was like very negligible like it was it was very you know one or two emails and a little bump in in social media but nothing and what i started to observe is that what people do with cards why they want the card is a way to naturally end the conversation in a complimentary way right Right. i'm not gonna buy your stuff but i'll take your card that's right there you go right so they feel okay about leaving you without buying something yeah and this is something that kind of happened because i forgot cards at one show or like i it was like Chicago or something like that. I didn't have any cards. 
but I have this huge banner with chasing artwork and then like all my little social media icons under it. So I started getting people to take pictures. Like I don't have a car, but take a picture of chasing artwork. Everything I do is under that name. And the amount of feed, like uh, social media bumps and like way high tangible yeah. feedback yeah. I got was like five times what yeah, I would get I have handing a out by cards. Card that I have, like a big card, a card that won't fit in your pocket. So people say, "Oh, do you have a business card?" I say, "Yes," and I like lift up this huge thing, <laughs> and everyone laughs and they're like, "What am I going to do with that?" I'm like, "Well, you can take a picture of it, and that's how it fits in your pocket." You that's know? right. That's right. And it, you know, it's exactly that. You get way more engagement because someone gets 50 cards at a show and then they just resent all those sharp edges in their pocket and throw them away or put them in the bag and say, oh, I'll look at them, but they very rarely will. And then we both keep a sort of a, a cache of actual business cards for in case. business. Yeah. Right. When someone is wanting to do business, you know, a publisher comes, uh, a commission person comes, someone who's interested in branding or interested in storytelling, then we give them that. And you see a direct one-to-one. But the trick that I use mostly for that even is I skip the business card. I take out my phone. I open up an email and say, the best way to keep in touch with me is send an email to yourself right now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And then they ping themselves. Right? They put in the thing and they send it off to themselves and now we're connected. I just think a business card has kind of lost meaning for us because there's so many of them yeah. out there. that are saturated for yeah, sure. Yeah, and even if – and I know many people do put their social media on a business card, but it's just not – that connection isn't there. Whereas if they take a photo, yeah, that's a great idea. They can just kind of, oh yeah, and they, they're scrolling through their photos from the con when they get home or whatever, and they're yeah. like, oh yeah, I forgot, I saw this guy, now you should follow him on Twitter, and then they'll and go and follow you on Twitter. Yeah, you, you should have the- consistent branding too. Like if your booth is called Quirkylicious, right, and I shout should out ha- Quirkylicious, shout out to Quirkylicious, your all your social media, everything you do should be Quirkylicious at Tumblr, Quirkylicious Instagram, on DeviantArt, right, like that. So. It, you should just have to Google that and everything yes, should pop up. Yes. We shouldn't have eight different website iterations for me to try to type out, right? Yeah. Like, good point. Good point. Excellent point. Justin's pretty good at branding. I try. That's <laughs> pretty good. Okay, so as I'm walking around Artist Alley at Winterfest, I notice that you – now, Greg, you have a great different stuff. You stand in front of your table. When I can, yeah. When it's allowed at a show, I okay. do. Okay, yes. and is it sometimes not allowed? Some sh- some shows they don't want you to. They'll put in the clause saying, like, you know, the vendors must be behind the but table. But when you stand in front of your table, you've pulled your table back, so yeah. you are not outside your footprint, so which usually I think is really important. Issue. So yeah. okay. if, if, it's, uh, if I can configure it to be in front of the work, then I do. And you have a chair for yourself yeah. when you sit down, mm-hmm. so you don't yeah. like you're standing the whole time. But I do notice that you you're whenever I see you, and, and Justin, you as well, you guys are standing. You're not sitting down. Whereas no. when I walk around the artist alley, also I do notice quite a few people who are just sitting there at their table, behind their table, stuff uh, laid out, and they're they're just sta- sitting there. Is there a difference between sitting and standing? Do you find you're engaging the customer more? Yeah, standing up, eye contact. Hey, how's it going? Everything's right there. If you'd like to look through, and then I kind of take a step back and let them have their way with my portfolio. This is another thing. So here's the thing. Have their way. <laughs> so I notice how I react to people's body language. So if I'm at a table and there's someone sitting and they're, you know, on their Usually phone on their or they're phone, eating yeah. or they're doing whatever they're doing and they're sitting, they're kind of turned away from the table. And then I'm engaging with their work and then they stand up and enter into my personal space, right, in a flourish, which is usually what happens. Um, my natural inclination is to be slightly off put by that. Like okay. I withdraw from somebody like come sweeping into me. But if someone is standing there already, 
right? And you then take that um, psychological transaction of stepping into their space. It's, it's a lot less disconcerting. Yeah. So I'm doing that partially because it's how I like to be treated, right? Is I want to be engaged on a, you know, I'm standing, you're standing, you know, you're smiling, I'm smiling. You know, everybody is having a good time. Um, once we engage, I often sit down to do the sketch. But what that also serves the purpose of being now lower than them so they can watch the drawing happen. What, where do you think we like? I don't remember when I made the decision to start standing. Like, was that just alertness you, for me? It's alertness. Like, if yeah. you're going to be you're going to be working for four days, you can very easily slide into a slump of, you know, what? There's that old expression, right? Uh, wag the dog, right? Yeah. The tail is going to change how the dog is thinking, right? So if you're sitting down and you're slumped over your cell phone and you're you know not engaged with people. Well, then people aren't going to engage with you and you're in turn not going to be very engaging. But if you, you know, assume the posture that is required for basic human engagement, you'd be surprised how much more basic human engagement you will engage in. Help warp one, engage! Uh, you guys are learning new things all the time, I assume, at, at these different events. Oh, what was the new trick we just learned? That's what I was going to ask. What are, what are some of the new things you've learned in the last little while? The Ooh. box on the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't tell this one. This is great. <laughs> Let's keep this one... No, no. There's only a so few hundred Craig, listeners. Greg discovered this trick, and I immediately stole it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. Unabashedly, he took it from me. I told him I was going to, though, so... Um, <laughs> visual space is important at a show in a way that's non-intrusive on the customer, right? You can't like put a banner out in the, where people are walking. Although Justin did that one time. Um, <laughs> you can't was, do those. That was not me. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that kind of stuff, but you do need to have the capacity for people's eyes who are moving above the crowd, right? To touch the work and then move down towards the thing that is, you know, present for them. And that can be really hard when you're flying, right? When we drive to a show, we can bring all kinds of wild displays, and that's great. But when you have to fit it into a suitcase, it doesn't work. And so um, this is combined with my tendency to like building forts with my kids. So whenever I see a pile of cardboard somewhere, and show floors are full at when they're being set up of just boxes when, and When, yeah, cardboard. huge booths like Weta come, everything's boxed up but as they're unpacking everything they're just tossing those boxes they pile it in the corner and then yeah. the you know the teamsters union has to come and clear it all away and uh the funko booths which are everywhere right have these long oblong boxes so they're tall when you stand them upright and they're the perfect size to hold um 12 by 18 they're basically 24 inches across so you can have two 12 by 18s and you can have them in three or five ups depending when you stack the box so i just tape my prints all around one of these boxes and make a pillar, right? That is a display pillar. A beautiful art hiding the box behind it. Right. So it looks like you built this incredible display or like how could you possibly travel with this? But it's really light and it's easy. And and when the show people come, they also inspect your booth sometimes because if stuff is stacked too high and it seems like a danger, right? They'll make you take it down. But like a box is not a danger. So they'll look at it and be like, oh, okay, well, no problem. Um, and then it creates a hollow. We have clamps too, so we clamp the box to the table so it can't fall over. And then on the reverse side is a hollow where your point of sale machine can go, where your notebook can go, where your food, your drinks, all the clutter that makes a booth seem like a garbage 
dump sometimes. Because really, you're living in the space for four days, and it does become pretty filthy by the time you're done. Yeah. Do so you have a picture of your booth on your Instagram from Seattle as I well? I should have, yeah, yeah. There's one on there Okay, for sure. so yeah. check yeah. that out on Instagram yeah. if you have yeah, the Yeah, just that awesome little pillow of art yeah. right on your table, and that was just, yeah, scavenging when the show started. Um, going he, back to standing as well, uh, me and my buddy at Seattle, you know, we're standing for four days on concrete floor, not great for your feet. So we also went and got some boxes and uh, we didn't have those, you know, nice little plush mats that a lot of booths get, but we um, just stacked like cardboard mats for basically our feet. And I noticed that made a huge difference difference. standing all day as well. So that's Um, a good pro tip to save your feet. You know, I'm nine, 10 years as a classroom teacher too. So standing all day is part for the course for me. So that's not a big deal. Um, but the guys often make fun of me cause I do yoga in the morning and then yoga at night and you know, you gotta, your back is the only one you got. So you got to take care of it. Right. So if you are planning to stand all day, it's, uh, it's a lot more work than it sounds like. Um, anything else? I can't think of anything else to ask you guys. You don't have any questions. You have no more questions know. for us. I'm blinking. That's it. After 22 episodes, we've that's, <laughs> that's the only mysteries that have stood. Um, proxies. What's that? A proxy. We need a proxy. Proxy. My gosh, if you're I listening, get at, in touch. Um, what I did at Winterfest. Okay. So I, I could not attend Winterfest, unfortunately. So I had to get a friend man the booth for me. So it was not the artist selling the art at my table. And I, I'm not it's, sure. It's turning your art setup, what we do, into a franchise. Ooh, or a retail, that's a great idea. Right? Basically, uh, but but at Emerald City, like I had a lot of people coming up who were so thrilled that I was actually the artist because so many of the booths there, the artwork, proxies. the artist is not there. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's a pretty common thing. So we want to do that because there are you know 50 shows that we can't go to physically, um, but we'd like to get our work there. So we're currently um, accepting applications for trustworthy <laughs> proxies in Canada and the U.S. Um, the trick being that. Working a convention for an art booth um, takes a certain type of psychology. Um, Like, I mean, internally. Like, you have to be good at the mental endeavor of being present for 40 hours over three days, engaging pleasantly with people and answering their questions. Um, It's not just about making the money. You're trying to get them to say, hey, I had a pleasant time with this art and this brand so that they remember that pleasant time later you know when they find it again um so if you're out there get in touch (laughs) (laughs) but but uh the downside being that you you are not there to sign the piece if they want to have it signed you're not there to draw your little sketches that you guys do that's right so that is the uh that's kind of funny that they're just kind of people are, are pushing back against that kind of thing because it's about the um the genuine experience of yeah. interacting yeah. with the artist, you know. And so bringing it back full circle to your original question, that's one of the strong arguments for the artist alley. Artist alleys usually have rules against proxies. Like if you're, if a booth has a, a huge setup and the artist will not be there, there usually be, can be found at vendors. If you can't eat, if you try to do that in Artist Alley, there's a good chance you'll get in trouble. Is Artist Alley less expensive than the vendors? It is. Okay. It's, it's it built be. for beginners was kind of the general idea like mm. starting out beginners or pro like people who have credits yeah basically it's you know it's intended for someone who wants to break in so they want to show their work to people or people who have 
credits in books so that um, if an editor is walking around, they may discover a new artist right. in that way. So it's also, it has the ancillary sort of benefit to editors that all of those people that they might be looking for can be in one place. You know, uh, the uh, time that I got a meeting with Scholastic was because I was in Artist Alley. So there's a, there is a benefit to certain segments of the Congors, but I think the majority of people who come to shows Right should be shown the majority of things there are to see at shows. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, and do people do that? Like at a at a con the size of um, Emerald City, are people able to do that? Do you think is that if you you would have to go there because it's so so big, you have to go over the like the whole four days to get to see everything, right? Is that uh, the idea, or do you find that people just kind of go to one place or four day pass holders try to see it all? Yeah, yeah. one day pass holders. I usually ask, so did you manage to see everything? And yeah, the and answer usually is it's no. Emphatic yeah. no. But, you know, a lot of one-day pass holders don't want to see everything. And that's what yeah. I hear, too. It's like, yeah. well, I don't need to go to the cosplay panel. And I don't want to go to see the celebrities, you know. I'm just here for, you know, hard-to-find Lego and Funkos. And other right. people are like, well, I just really want to get a sketch from Eric Larson. What's with Funkos? Right? I think, okay, <laughs> I didn't hate Funkos until I started doing conventions. And they're like overwhelming success and just how... how. But wouldn't you love it if that was your Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. People loved yours. It's totally just me being like a grump about I like of that. Funkos everywhere, but I, I, they're I, killing it. Yeah, no, they are. And I, what I don't get about it is that um, we even have Funkos in the studio. Yeah, <laughs> but I, what I, I guess it's, um, it's like you can express your fandom. It's all these characters, and but the, I, I, you know, they all kind of look the same. That's the idea, right? They all have the same kind of big eyes and yeah, and that kind of this, thing. It's spun out of that vinyl that. Um, low-run vinyl craze sort of that happened for a while, big in L.A., where, you know, different artists, street artists would sort of paint over, the do monies? overpaints over the, the monies, monies. Yeah. yeah. And, like, Funko was kind of a natural extension of that idea. Interesting. I mean, it's 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 wild to watch. The, the huge booth at Emerald City is, like, a, a 50 by 30 booth, and you cannot just go there to buy stuff. You have to have a ticket that you bought online to get in line for you the Funko booth. Wow. And then if they have stock left, as I understand it, then they do sell some. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's, it's a all huge pre-sold. People well, are just yeah. like super just picking pumped. up their Funko. Picking up because their it's Funko. An, an Emerald City exclusive. It was some kind of Batman. I think that they had a Hulk and a Batman. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not into the Funko scene. But I, what I like about it is that people... It makes them smile so much. Yeah, like it's like yeah. a, you know, it's a cartoon character or a um, you know, it's like, and they have from every fandom you can think of now, right? Represented, you know. And what makes people happy, I guess, is the that's second fine. the show floor opens, we'll know because people will suddenly be sprinting past to get into that line first. And I think I'm just bitter because I want that. For you want me. people to sprint. <laughs> I want people to sprint You'll to my booth. You'll get there one day. Yeah, you have to, you know, keep it up. <laughs> for sure. What is it? The next show you guys are going to? C two E two. You'll be at C two. We'll both be at C two E two. Calgary, right? And then no, C two E two is Chicago. Chicago. And then okay. Calgary. When is C two E two? It's uh, the second weekend in April. Oh damn it! And no, I'm going to be out there in May. Yeah, second weekend in April, and then the end of April is Calgary, which is okay. like our. I'm going to Chicago when you guys are going to Calgary. Well, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made, in particular how we try to make it at shows this time. Um, I encourage all of you to join the fight and make comics. (laughs) 